you can be part of agriculture and you can be in the agricultural industry without being a farmer. You don't actually have to be a farmer to positively contribute and positively contribute in a big way to become, you know, part of the industry. G'day and welcome to episode 67 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm really excited to do another double episode week and today I'm sitting down with none other than Sam Johnston, who's one of the co-founders of the Thank a Farmer initiative. But before we jump in to today's episode, I'd like to thank our podcast sponsor, LAWD, the specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. To find out more, you can head to www.lawd.com.au. Before this episode today, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the lands on which I'm presenting on today and have for quite a few months now. Pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I'd like to acknowledge the First Nations people and the first communities from wherever it is that you're tuning in to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I say every week that I'm really excited, but this week I am just as excited as any other week. I do love just chatting with awesome people from different areas of agriculture. Sam Johnson is absolutely no exemption. Growing up on his family property in Forbes in New South Wales, it was during his uni days and a passion for using social media to connect people that really saw Sam and his mate Jim create a project and turn Aussie Ag into something that it probably hadn't seen before. Seven years later, and thank a farmer for your next meal, has amassed tens of thousands of followers and has profiled the good and the downright tough times that come with farming in Australia. G'day, Sam. Welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast. Thanks, Ollie. Uh, Been uh, a big follower for a long time and, um, yeah, finally glad to jump on. Oh, mate, I'm like a little fangirl here, I think. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Goes goes both ways, mate, both ways. (laughs) Mate, um, starting off, I guess, yeah, you're, you're back in Forbes, so had a bit of time in Sydney kind of during uni and post uni, but you spent the last year or so back home on the farm. How are things going? You've, you've walked into pretty, pretty times. Yeah. Well, I guess um, the uh, start to farming I've had has been pretty, pretty sensational. And I know a lot of people have put a lot of time and effort into me uh, being at, I suppose, a, a young um, agricultural enthusiast. And um, I'm finally glad that I can repay the favor and now actually call myself a farmer. So uh, moved back home from Sydney um, in October last year, which is almost coming up to 12 months ago and uh, really loving it. It was always one of my dreams to become a farmer and, and get back onto the land. And I think it was a, as a matter of um, if not now, when. So it was all sort of my ducks lined up for me. And yeah, October 2020, I had moved back to Forbes and I'm loving it. Really good, really good to be back here and, and good to get a bit of crossover with the old man while he's still pretty heavily involved. I'd love to know, so you just mentioned there, like farming, it was kind of a, a now or never piece, but flicking it back, was growing up, was it always farming the way you wanted to go or did you start to have a few wild ideas of, of what you might want to do? Well, if I go back to my early, early days, I guess the thing that got me so interested in farming, which is I think a similar story to a lot of other people um, in my boat, is that I loved watching my, you know, my family farm and I love watching um, my old man turn a raw set of inputs into a final marketable product. And I guess probably in my early teens or just, you know, around the age of 10, 11, 12, 
Um, I thought I might become a crusty demon, but um, that was a short-lived dream and I worked out I wasn't good enough. I kept falling off the bike. So um, that dream was scrapped and it was always, it was always a dream of mine. I always wanted to farm, I always sort of wanted to do what my old man did and I just loved loved the life on the, on the, on the land and sort of being out of the hustle and bustle of Sydney and obviously being a 12-year-old getting sent away to boarding school, it's quite a, quite a culture shock. So um, very eye-opening experience and something that, you know, I've, I've had the best of both worlds for quite some time now. Uh, but, look, I think my uh, situation was there was no pressure from mum and dad to come back to the farm. They were probably more pushing me away. Um, which was a good thing because it allowed me to, to develop a skill set and be able to bring something back to the family business when I returned. I think if I had a comeback straight after school, um, when I probably might have wanted to, um, I wouldn't have been able to bring anything back to the farm or, or sort of contribute positively uh, as much as I did if I, I sort of stayed away to go to uni and stayed away and, and work for someone else for a couple of years. So, look, it was, yeah, something that I always wanted to do and, um, yeah, I was just fortunate that all my ducks lined up for me in October last year. And so tell me a little bit about Forbes. Was was it always on the cards to, yeah, you've got the family business there, but to get back to the community, tell me what the town of Forbes is like. Well, I guess when I grew up, I was actually 50 k's west of Forbes and I went to a very, very small regional bush school and they used to call it the, the um, school in the paddock, which was Coronella Public School. And Basically, that was a school in the paddock with a couple of demandable classrooms. Um, I think at its height, it sort of had 29, 30 kids. Um, and it was just yeah, it's such a little good little school. I had so much fun there. A lot of, lot of good farming families were out there. And whilst we were from Forbes, we sort of spent quite a bit of time out there in that community and, and sort of hanging out on, on other people's farms and, and that sort of thing. But it was just such a good community and I'm, I'm still really good friends with a lot of those people that I went to school with, which is, you know, such a long time ago now. Um, but yeah, obviously moving away at 12, I, I probably lost a bit of connection with Forbes and, and when a lot of people um, who I went to primary school with were coming back for, for school holidays, I was either on a, a rowing camp or a, a rugby camp and I sort of lost quite a bit of time. Um, in the school holidays when a lot of other kids were back home on the farm helping with harvest or helping with, you know, whatever it may be uh, on the farm at the time. So uh, that was a bit of a shame. But, uh, yeah, I've always loved Forbes. It's such a great little town. And um, so anyone who's ever been there, you, you could say, you know, the lake in there is pretty, pretty nice and the people are also friendly. I remember when I first moved away to boarding school, going through Sydney, I'd be walking down the streets of Sydney and, trying to get a smile out of someone and look, you know, just you get a bit of a reaction, a wave or something and no one would give me anything. So it was always good to come back and, you know, get a wave as you walk around the lake or g'day, how are you going? Good morning, that sort of thing. So two different worlds and I'm very fortunate to, yeah, just have that experience. It's been very broad brush. I've met plenty of, you know, decent people in both places. And yeah, I guess um, without there being any pressure, uh, to come back to Forbes, it sort of made sense. Dad, Dad's probably got more land now than he ever had, and um, you know, probably half amount of um, help and support that he's he's had um, or once had. And whilst he's got a pretty passive farming model at the moment, it's always good to have the you know, eldest son come back and, and give him a hand. So it's only me and my sister, and you know, she actually helped him for a year. She was working in the rural property side of the business for, for 12 months with him, which was which was a great experience for her and she really loved it. So, yeah, it's, it's been good. He's um, yeah, had a good lot of support in the last two or three years, I'd, I'd reckon. 
Yeah, perfect. It's funny how you mentioned that um, walking down the street or whatever and getting a wave or, or a smile off someone. I was sitting the other morning, um, I was just having a coffee down at Bronte of all places, as you can, go out for your morning exercise. And I was just flicking through this book and a bloke was just walking past and he stops and goes, mate, it's an absolute cracking book. And I, it's been so funny because, yeah, the last, whatever, two months in lockdown and just someone stopping like that, you're like, fuck. Yeah. The world's not a bad place. The world's not a bad place. No, it's good. I reckon they're pretty good down in Bo- uh, Bronte. When, yeah. I was living up, when I was living in Sydney, we did a bit of group training down there and you would get the odd good morning or good day. And I think the people that are up early in the morning at about 5, 30, 6 o'clock, they're always yeah. keen for a bit of a chat. So, no, I, I do find that. And it's good to good to have those interactions. I think they, they can really lift your day, I reckon, especially when they come from people in Sydney. Bloody earth, particularly at the moment. Now, while we're on the topic of Sydney, so you you headed to Sydney Uni kind of after school and you met a, I'm not sure if you knew Jim before uni. I guess, yeah, what was the first interaction of I Jim? guess I probably, I knew of Jim. I, I wouldn't say that we were sort of close mates or anything, but I'm sure we would have come across each other, two mutual friends. And um, it was probably really at uni that we developed our sort of good mateship. And I guess... Um, if we move on to Tanga Farmer, he um, really approached me and it was his brainchild. He, he'd he seen that I was doing a, another social media page at the time called Butte Utes, um, which was something that I started up probably two or three years before leaving school. And it was basically based around me being so jealous of all my mates driving around in their Holden Commodore or Ford Falcon Utes that I incognito started up this Ute page to just basically repost all photos of the Utes. So I was driving around. <laughs> driving around in an old beat-up um, Ford Falcon AU station wagon, which I thought was pretty cool at the time. No one else did, but I still did. And, um, yeah, I was just jealous of all those boys had those, you know, five-post bull bars and the big aerials, which is probably, you know, everyone's dream at, at 16, 17, 18. So I started that up and it got a bit of traction and, and did quite well. And Jim just came up to me one day and said, what are your thoughts on starting an agricultural base page and I thought that'd be a good idea it's you know there's no one else doing it at the moment why don't we have a crack so that's sort of how it all started and um, it really just began as a as a page for us to share photos between our friends and family we wanted to do something to to positively contribute to agriculture whilst we weren't actually back on the land and and that was just the way we were able to do it so it was such a great such a great idea of Jim's and um, you know he's he's really a a very sensational thinker and he comes up with some great ideas and um, I always refer to him as the man behind the caption just because some of the things that he comes up up with are just sensational and really bring the photos to life so um, I guess after about two or three months it really started to gain a bit of traction and we got quite a big following and I think that was purely because there was no one else doing it at the time it was a, a it was at a time that a lot of people were probably talking bad about farming and farming practices in the media. It was all about that time when the, the shearing smear campaigns were on and the, all the anti-mulesing and, and basically all this fabrication of a story that, um, you know, for, for someone who wasn't involved with agriculture directly would, you know, would have probably believed or thought that was normal practice, but we just wanted to even the playing field out and get some correct positive information out there. So, our consumers can basically or could basically um, form the, you know, non-biased opinion that's got, you know, arguments from both sides of the story. So, um, yeah, it was 
it was a good little idea at the time and um, we're just so lucky that we had such supportive friends, family and followers. Did the the goal ever change, like I, I guess over the years as, as it evolved or did it stay pretty true to what it set out well, to be? Well, it's always been very genuine and um, we've always tried to stay on the, you know, non-commercialised path and, and you know, the, I think the reason people have followed us for so long is because it's really just been a couple of Aussie battlers having a bit of a crack and I guess that's a pretty good story in itself but we probably didn't really, you know, have much to do with it personally in terms of promoting ourselves in the early days. Um, we saw probably three, three, three to five months in was the turning point for us. It was just that because it was getting so big and there was so many people following us, we thought, well, you know, we've got to stop just, you know, doing it as a bit of fun now. We've actually got to have a think of how we can make a good positive contribute contribution to ag um, and I guess that was when we sort of started thinking well everything we post and everything we we sort of aggregate on our page should be about closing the gap between producer and consumer city and bush um, and showing people from the metropolitan areas or people who lived in the cities that um, you know where their food and fiber comes from how it was made who made it you know and how it got to them on their plate or in their wardrobe so that was sort of something that we yeah, developed as an idea probably three to five months in and, and we've sort of stuck stuck to that and stayed true to that theme. So um, really we just yeah claim a lot of, um, or don't claim, but um, aggregate a lot of other people's photos and videos and stories in one spot so that everyone can jump on and have a, have a look and, you know, see some positive things about farming and agriculture. Pretty similar to what you're doing, mate. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. Yeah, there's a few similarities. I want to ask, um, or there's a few questions. I'll, I'll ask you more about, I guess, the, the business side and commercial in a minute, but I want to know those early days. Um, w- was there a moment, yeah, that you that things clicked and you're like, wow, look, we are, we're having a serious contribution here and um, it, it's not just, I guess, followers, but there's been comments or whatever it might have been. Yeah, I think, um, I reckon it was probably six months in, so not long after we had the discussion, um, or maybe six to 12 months in, there was probably a few of the regional journal journal um, publications were picking up on it, like the land newspaper and a, a few of the local papers, which, you know, it sort of meant that we were going to that next level. I, I think the the wider agricultural community could see that what we were doing was was what the industry needed at that time. And, um, yeah, it was basically the first, you know, I think it was the first, like, um, aggregation of ag content on social media, you know, on the on the level that we were doing it. So, um, yeah, I think we were lucky that we, there was no one else doing it at the time. I know if we had to start up again today in, 
in today's day and age, we'd be we'd be flat out against the hundred or two hundred other profiles doing it. But <laughs> you know, I think um, the model that we used was something that worked at the time and um, has continued to work today. And, and people people like the story; they like seeing the content. And um, yeah, it's a, it's been a yeah pretty good little pretty good little uh, program we've had and run. Yeah, but I think um, I don't know. There's just something about farming, isn't there? That you can take a, a fairly generic everyday photo and it and it just looks pretty incredible to countless numbers of people. So well, well, I remember when I was going through um, boarding school in my, I think well, it would have been in year seven, where you sort of make friends with the day boys and and their families are generous enough to take you out on the weekends and. Um, as a matter of repaying the favour, you invite them up to the farm on the week, or, you know, in the school holidays. And I remember um, I bought the Kellaway family and the Kellaway boys who were two of my Andy good and mates. Nick. Andy and Nick, yeah, they, yeah, they um, came up to visit the farm and, and they were, you know, very interesting and interested characters in what was going on. And I remember moving a mob of sheep with them, which is, you know, for people who grew up on the land, it's an everyday everyday thing and, and they just thought it was the, the most amazing thing they had their phones out taking videos taking taking photos and i thought wow look how interested these guys in something that's you know actually worked for me i'll, I'll get them up here more often to help out if this is how excited they get about <laughs> it. so but it, it just showed to me i was like wow that it's just complete two different worlds and, and you know they still talk about it to this day so obviously um that's what a lot of other people and our followers who aren't from uh, rural Australia seeing our photos and imagery and it's just yeah something so foreign to them that um, yeah it can be quite aesthetically pleasing especially with a lot of the photos that we get sent in today and, and videos and that sort of thing yeah for sure in terms of uh, I'm, I'm interested between yourself and Jim it's been going for seven years now so like I guess naturally you have ebbs and flows on the interest I guess or yeah it, it becomes potentially monotonous or it actually becomes yeah you're like oh shit we just gotta we gotta post again today um for you guys how have you managed that interest like over the years and i guess that transition from when you were in uni to then working full-time and trying to yeah i guess you you built up an expectation where people are, are waiting for your content and looking for it well i guess that has been probably one of the biggest challenges we've faced to date um, we'd both agree that when we were at uni, we just had so much extra time. Like you'd have four or five extra hours in a day that you wanted to, to do something with and to post a photo was nothing, you know, it was sort of, it was sort of that escape from the city to, <clears throat> to the bush, um, just, you know, via social media. And, um, I guess probably in the last 18 months to three years, we've probably slowed down a little bit on our content, um, publishing, uh, and that's probably uh, a little bit to do with. Um, it's both being tied up in full-time jobs um, with, you know, moving from uni where you've got a very relaxed lifestyle and a lot of extra time into a full-time job where you've got other people relying on you, trying to meet deadlines. Um, you know, you sort of lose a bit of those, um, you know, a few of the hours in the day where you would usually be posting. So I'd, I'd say that has been a big challenge for us. Um, and that, that in combination with, for me, I, I spend so much time on my own personal social media accounts that you know by the time you go and do it on top of the the tank of farmer stuff it you know it, you just end up spending too much time on social media looking at your phone and being antisocial so i know yeah. a lot of my friends and family and, and partner you know weren't too keen on that idea and, and jim 
Jim, to his credit, has done quite a bit of the posting over the years. You know, he's probably done 70% of the posting over the years. So um, he's the one always comes up with the better captions. But look, yeah, last last probably 18 months to three years, we've been a little bit light on in the content, but it's it's not because we've burnt out or anything. It's just that, yeah, we don't have as much time as we once did. And probably it's, yeah, social media can get a, a bit um, full on after a while. And you, you see it a bit, actually. There's been a few... People who started off sort of not long after us who have, you know, taken a hiatus for six to 12 months and, you know, just had a break from it completely and you just don't see them post for ages. And I guess we're going through a sort of mini hiatus at the moment. Yeah. No, you guys still, you're still popping up enough. And, and I guess the quality's there. Like when you guys put a photo up, it's, it's bloody good. So I do want to ask, um, and I guess it comes back to that commercial piece. Well, there, there is a, like, there still isn't, business opportunity in this but in terms of you're saying jim was a big picture thinker if there were no barriers and kind of no expectations what what would the dream have been for thanker farmer and what would you guys i I reckon if if i had have been able to have a an open checkbook and a a free diary what i would have loved to have done was gone and, and made a lot more of our own um sort of uh, user-generated content, like we'd go out and visit people on the farm and basically do a weekend or, you know, two or three days on their farm and, and just put together a short series of, you know, whether it be a, a YouTube, you know, mini-series where you just each, you know, episode is basically about, you know, what this person does, what they produce, how it gets, you know, made and just have a bit of an informative, um, you know, video mini-series. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that, we talked about on a number of occasions, but I think it'd be even harder to do today with all the COVID lockdown restrictions. But yeah, I, I just, we've got such a good network of people that would have been keen to do it. And, you know, one day you'd go and see a cotton farmer, the next day you go and see a, a merino breeder and, um, you know, so on that we've got such a good access to all these people and, and to go and put a mini series together and, and aim it at the consumer, aim it more, you know, it's all good and well for, us to do content for farmers um, of farmers but if we could do content of farmers for consumers um, on a bit more of an informative level that would have been a I think um, yeah it would have been a really strong strong little uh, opportunity there for us mm, but yeah no, I think that's kind of the dream isn't it yeah the hardest thing with video is exactly what you're saying money and I reckon what's probably even harder than the money is just the time it takes to do those things well I reckon i I've um, spoken to a lot of good photographers and they reckon one day in the field taking the photos and the videos is probably two to three days in the office. So I think a lot of people forget that and I think a lot of people forget how hard it is to put together videos and, and, um, you know, podcasts and these sort of things. It it just, yeah, the the editing skills and the the time you need to do all that and snip it all together is, yeah, it just takes so long. And um, that's probably one of the reasons why we haven't done it and we've never had the gear um but you know we should probably still look at that further down the track yeah no it's funny even the podcast it's kind of like for every say hour of content or whatever yeah basically to edit is probably three times the length of what it takes to record one and then by the time you do a bit of research on top you probably got another length of the podcast again like it's probably at least an hour or two when you have a look at particularly people who have done a fair bit too start to like look at the map of their lives and like holy hell how do i actually bring this down into a conversation and try and make it flow yeah for sure for sure no i think um 
a lot of people yeah, do underestimate how much time and effort goes into to producing these things, especially to the standard that obviously you you I'd want it to be. So anyway, that that would have been the dream, and um, probably. I guess in terms of a, a business point of view, Tanker Farm has always been good to us in terms of the opportunities it's brought. We've never ever paid ourselves. We've never ever, you know, taken money out of the business. It's always been putting all that money that we've made out of selling pro- products into either buying more products or supporting charitable organisations in the rural space and also sort of regional sporting teams, which, you know, that that's opened up a lot more doorways and paid us 10 times over in terms of opportunity um, versus a, what we'd get out of if we were taking money out of the business. And I think that's that's partly the reason as well why a lot of people are still following us and, you know, that they know we're not in it to make a – to become, you know, wealthy out of it. I don't think um, you'd ever would, but, you know, that's mm-hmm. why people have sort of followed us for so long. We haven't commercialised ourselves too much and um, we've always been able to support the people and businesses that we want to support and not be – not have that dictated to us by someone else. But – you know, that's there's a double-edged sword there a bit. We've got probably given up a few opportunities where we might have been able to source a bit of extra funding from someone else and put together that series. But anyway, for one reason or another, here we are today. So yeah, no, nah, it's a uh, it's a tightrope, I reckon, when it comes to like particularly nowadays. If you, you partner with the wrong person once and you can kiss your brand goodbye kind of overnight. Well, that's so. it. No, well, I think I think, and then look, there is obviously a lot of opportunity out there too to partner yourself with with good brands and, and good businesses and organisation and that can take you from from zero to hero very quickly. So, mm. um, yeah, maybe that's something we should have looked back at in the past, but my view on it is you never look back. The only thing you get from looking back is a sore neck. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of coulders. So in terms of you started to mention, yeah, I guess using it as a platform for yourself and, and Jim has, I guess, been done a lot of the background stuff but you've had a few opportunities open up so you had um royal ag society in new south wales you're part of the like easter show rural achiever program um in 2020 i think yeah yeah that's right yep that's and it. then and then evoke ag as well last year so you had it had a big old year um yeah 2019 was the rural achievers and 2020 was the evoke ag but yeah look they're two opportunities i wouldn't have got if we didn't do if i didn't do thank farmer i think that sort of yeah, it was one of the reasons why I was considered for a lot of those awards. And, and that's getting back to what I was saying before, the, you know, the, the uh, you know, outcomes that I've got from those events and the networks I've built is going to pay me over 10 times more than what, you know, drawing a wage or, you know, drawing money out of the business ever would have. So I'm so grateful for that. And obviously, a lot of people have backed me and supported me. And, um, yeah, those programs are outstanding. Was it validation in the sense that what you guys had created and had done to a point was, yeah, recognised and noticed? Or, yeah, I guess how, how did the – because I think awards and either people can, I guess, chase them for validation or promotion or it's kind of just recognised, I guess, to bring it back to a couple of things. Was it – yeah, was it something that you admired, needed? Did you kind of get these things and you're like, oh, like it's – fantastic to be noticed but it hasn't changed me no well i i'd say that those opportunities that i've been given uh in terms of um i did also did one offered by agri futures or it was verdict to begin with when i started but the horizon scholarship and and those three sort of events or programs or you know um 
organizations have been, you know, absolutely life-changing events for me. The way that they've sort of developed me personally, both in a, in a personal sense and a professional sense has been, been amazing. Like probably uh, going through school, I was probably timid. I'd be no good at public speaking and all those things, but these little programs that I've done throughout my um, university and sort of just post-university um, career have just, yeah, absolutely changed me as a person. They've, made me become so more um you know i can get my my ideas off and and through to people a lot better and, and the, the network you gain what i did learn going through uni and, and through work probably more specifically is you can't be an expert on everything um and you don't ever want to be the smartest person in the room so for me i always rely on my network if if i need to find out something about you know cattle husbandry or sheep husbandry or you know how to put together a podcast within my network i've got a heap of people who specialize in those areas and i know that they're only just a phone call away so never underestimate the power of your network and um, i'm always on the blower to try and get some uh, ideas and feedback and tips on on those things that i'm not an expert in i'm, I'm just learning so um yeah those programs have been outstanding and and what I say to a lot of people and a lot of people in my sort of network is that you've got to apply for those programs. If you're eligible, apply because, you know, you've got to be in it to win it and um, you're never sure how many other people are applying. So, um, yeah, I, I do really talk highly of all those programs, that's for sure. I think what's interesting too is um, like in ag generally, and I guess we've seen it a bit through the Future Farmers Network as well. Like you throw, it, it's key that it seems to either be tons of people apply or nearly no one does and i actually think like in agriculture we're a very modest bunch but i i think that modesty actually probably holds a lot of people back because it, like like you're saying you jump on board a horizon scholarship or the evoke ag leaders or ras opportunity and yeah like it can it can be that one person who you meet that opens the door of opportunity for you for that next stage or, or next piece for sure, and, and and whilst it does obviously raise your profile to an extent and you do become a bit more well-known, the personal leadership um, journey that it takes on is, yeah, second to none. And, and, yeah, I just think that there's not as many people probably apply for those sort of things as you think, whilst they probably still get, you know, a couple of hundred. It's mm. um, not as many as you think. And I think as an industry, yeah, we are probably all a little bit modest and, and not overly excited to blow our own horns, but you know, in the same sense, if, if you've got a cool story and something that's worth sharing, why not get on there and give it a crack? You know, absolutely. I'd love to know on that, and uh, I, I guess this might make you a bit uncomfortable. But what would you say? Yeah, your your proudest achievement has been, or yeah, kind of one of your key strengths, which has really been learnt through um, through these programs, and and I guess throwing your hand up and contributing. I guess um, someone asked me what my proudest achievement to date was last week. So I've got this one Here we go. already sorted. But my, my proudest achievement to date is actually buying buying my own farm and, and now being able to call myself a farmer. Whilst I'm still trying to get my head around all the nuts and bolts of farming and I've got heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff to learn, um, you know, that's always been my dream and to actually fulfil it. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful and pretty cool. But in terms of me as a person, Without Tuddy Mine Horn, I'd, I'd say I'm pretty pretty genuine and and um, someone who's honest, and I'm always, for better or worse, speaking it how it is. So you you won't get a bullshit answer out of me if if you ask me a question and um, you're expecting an honest answer, you get one. So I think that's probably why I've been able to to sort of you know make my way 
to date and um, I've still got a little bit to learn or plenty to learn, but I, I am honest and I, I do like being genuine and, and giving people honest and truthful feedback, whether that's upsetting to them or not. You know, I've probably got to work on that little that a little bit, but no, I do like being genuine, honest and open. And I found it, I find if you tell the truth and are honest with people, you can never get yourself into trouble or not too much trouble anyway. Yeah, well, you're uh, you're calling it how it is. Pretty pretty incredible traits to have. So you said you wanted to call yourself a farmer for a long time, and that validation didn't come until you'd bought your own block of land. You were thinking of yourself as a farmer before that. Oh, I wasn't. No, I reckon um, it was. It took the, the purchase of the farm, like whilst I was working in the family business, and you know, I'd say myself, I, you know, classify myself as a farmhand to be actually able to make, you know, all the own my own decisions and and what happens when and how it happens. Um, you know, that that's probably what I classified myself as being becoming a farmer. So, do you think it's um, potentially holding us back as an industry? Is that like it's quite an elusive role to have farmer. It is. I think it's very broad brush. And I know one of the big things that I learned actually came from Simone Kane, yep. um, who runs Heads Up George the Farmer. And we were doing an initiative for Fanga Farmer at the time, which was called When I Want to Grow Up, I Want to Be a Farmer, which was obviously a dream of mine right from a, being a young tacker. But what we wanted to do was just put the spotlight on and create a bit of a photo competition um, for the, the young young sort of uh, I guess probably very early age to you know 10 or 12 years of age um, I know people in our industry and, and and showcase how how much enjoyment they got from being on the farm and how much um, help they do give their families and, and, and all the work that they put in uh, without them going unnoticed and, and one thing she said to me she goes in your press release make sure that people who are going through school, going through primary school, going through high school, understand that you can be part of agriculture and you can be in the agricultural industry without being a farmer. You don't actually have to be a farmer to positively contribute and positively contribute in a big way to become, you know, part of the industry. So that sort of changed my whole outset on the industry in general. I was like, you know, that's so true. You can become an agronomist. You can become a trader. You can become, you know, an equine vet there's all these things that you can become part of agriculture with that aren't just about being a farmer and producing you know food food and fiber for someone so that was really cool and and i think that's probably yeah a good little thing to throw in there in terms of holding everyone back and, and changing the mindset on the industry in general especially people who are you know aspirational about getting into an industry that they might not know too much about yeah it's interesting because i think that's probably I guess the the point of difference and like there's a lot of similarities between what you guys have done and, and I guess what I'm trying to do with humans of agriculture. And I guess my thinking is, yeah, how I, how I define um, a human of agriculture. And it's bloody cool hearing you use the words because it's like people who are positively contributing um, to ag, whether that's on farm or not. And I guess my, how I defined a human of agriculture as such is anyone who's having a positive influence on the food and fiber system. And that's where mm. like chefs and nutritionists and, and all these people are actually, they're massively part of it. And I think when you start to talk with farmers and you get people, like there's people the whole way along the supply chain who are so passionate about what they do, mm. um, but they don't see themselves in agriculture. And it's the same as even like Sammy O'Brien, the journalist who, uh, or sorry, um, what is she? Lifestyle um, TV side of things and um tv presenter i guess would be the right job title um mm. 
And I was like, oh, do you see yourself in agriculture? And she's like, no, not at all. And I was like, but you, you've got a massive audience on social media. You're always posting about agriculture. You don't think like when you post, people are like, oh, Sammy's involved in ag. Like from the outside mm-hmm. looking in, it does. But kind of internally, she didn't see herself as part of it at all. Well, I think it's it's interesting how a lot of people sort of think in that in that mindset. And, and you're dead right that the farming is only one part of the only one part of the pie, and it goes the whole way all the way through to the you know almost nearly the end consumer because they're the ones consuming our food. You know, they're or food and fiber. And mm. I just think it, it is it is such a inviting and and um, hospital industry. Like everyone everyone is so inviting and so supportive of people coming in. So uh, that's one thing I love about the industry, just the time and effort and devotions they put into a lot of, a lot of young people as well. Like um, it's been good to see all these big businesses and organizations put so much backing into the younger generations, because at the end of the, the end of the day, they're the future of our industry and they're, they're going to be the people solving the problems, you know, when we're old and wrinkly. So Mm. Um, yeah it's a very um very uh yeah supportive and, and good industry to be in, in that sense for sure yeah absolutely and i've got a couple of questions that i still want to ask you one around i guess yeah your platform has been built off people taking photos but it's actually the stories behind the photos and and i guess yeah just how powerful they can be what's your advice to people in agriculture when it comes to yeah being a bit brave and, and stepping forward and sharing your story, whether it's on Thank a Farmer or Humans of Ag or it's a yeah local paper or anything. Well, I just think it's it's so cool, and we are part of such a good industry in terms of Australian ag. We are you know, up there in the top five percent in the world, and we've just got such a good story worth sharing. So, you know, if you are feeling game, get on there, have a chat, you know, share a photo and you'd be amazed how much that can change someone's day. You know, you, you and I are talking about getting a wave in the street changing our day. Yeah. You know, if someone, if someone shares a photo and, you know, it helps someone positively with it within the day that, you know, that's, that's, that's such good. That's such a good thing to do. And I think, um, you know, what you're doing with the podcast is amazing because you're getting such a broad range of people um, coming in and, and talking about a similar, you know, genuine interest, which is obviously agriculture and, and putting that story or putting all those stories together in one spot, you know, it's, it's a, it's a one shot, one stop shot to hear about, you know, how many different career paths there are in, are in ag or, you know, what's going on in each different space. So um, yeah, I think um, if, if you're ever considering doing something and you get the opportunity, never pass it up because um, you'd be surprised how much you get out of it, both, you know, in a personal and, and commercial sense. So, Very good advice. And my, my last question, which is one which I ask everyone, which has kind of just happened. Um, yeah, I guess as the podcast has evolved, but I actually love it because so basically the, to frame the question, you're getting the chance to go and chat to a bunch of year 10 students tomorrow. What advice would you give to them about, I guess, life in general, but potentially what a career in agriculture could, could give them? Um, I actually presented to my old high school on Thursday. So I've oh, given three, <laughs> three points of wisdom. Um, which was pretty cool. And my three three um, points to them were winners never quit and quitters never win, uh, which I thought was really good for me in terms of sport and career. Um, so it's basically just being stick to things and, um, yeah, don't quit even when the going gets tough. Uh, my second point was 
surround yourself with positive people because if you do that, they're more than likely to lift you up and, and take you on their positive journey with them. So, um, you know, I'm a big believer and you become the, the average of the 10 or, 10 or 15 people you hang around. So if you hang around with the right people, you know, obviously you're going to be lifted and, and do better in life. And that's sort of a personal uh, view that I've had for quite some time. And then also, which is probably more of a career career driven um, you know, point of or bit of advice is be yourself because everyone else is taken. And that gets down to my sort of genuine nature. I think too many people get into a job interview and, and pretend to be someone else they're not um, to get the job. But um, from my sort of limited experience in hiring people, if I get someone that comes in, is themselves, isn't putting on a facade, it's just, you know, there because they want to be there, he's showing interest, he's prepared to work hard, then you know, that goes a long, long, long way for me. So I think um, that's that's really good for a year 10 class and, and something that I'm lucky that I did on Thursday. So I think it was Thursday or Friday. But anyway, they um, they were very, you know, they were very grateful that I got on and, and gave them those few, few pointers. But, um, and another, yeah, another thing on that is that I guess in terms of anyone that's, that's young and, um, you know, looking for a job and I guess, from personal experience, I found that you could go into a um, interview room and you might have five or six other people out on the on the interview deck, um, ready to go in after you. And if you go in there and you say, "Look, I've got a you know university degree and I you know I've got an ATAR here that was pretty good," the interviewers are more than likely going to be like, "Well, that's good, but so are the five other people out there behind you. What else? What else is different about you? Why should we hire you instead of the five other people that have got you know good ATAR?" and a good university degree, like you got to be able to have a bit of point of differentiation. And I guess that's probably where Fanger Farmers come in and help me quite a bit. So. Unreal. Yeah. No, mate. Well, I reckon the other one is that you might, might not have included, but is that, yeah, I guess taking the chance to give back as well. Cause I think, yeah. Or us chatting today is perfect. Like I, yeah. Love hearing more about what you guys have done. And cause I guess it, it you see so much from, looking on the outside but you only do see so much so mm, only um, scratching the surface that's that's for sure yeah no well, hats off to you and um it's an incredible thing you guys have done and hopefully maybe we can find a way to collaborate in some way shape or form be good you might give us a bit of a kick up the pants and get us going <laughs> <laughs> oh we can see more power together anyway so no that's exactly right no it's been really good ollie and i've, I've thoroughly enjoyed being on here and chatting and um, you're doing great stuff, so it's good to see someone else, you know, in our generation doing something good for ag, and there's plenty of it happening, so it's good to see. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Sam. Truly fascinating story from where just a little idea and doing something with one of your mates turns into something that you probably couldn't have dreamed of. Tune in again this Saturday morning. The Antola series kicks off again Saturday, 5am. Has your weekend listening sorted? We're sitting down with Randall Wilkshire, who's working for the GRDC in South Australia, but he did his Nuffield Scholarship a few years ago on how to get more women into the grains industry. This is a super fascinating chat. To read a bit of a prelude to what Randall's talking about, jump on our website, www.humansofagriculture.com have a read. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane.